Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. In this week's podcast, we look at what employers are doing to broaden their workforce and discuss diversity in the graduate job market. We'll be joined later by a student on Google's top black talent scheme and the Guardian's head of diversity to talk everything from the initiatives companies are using to attract diverse talent and how to make the most of your diversity when applying for jobs. But first, as ever, we've got a roundup of this week's careers news and Ali White and Harriet Minter are here to share their stories. Hello. Hello. Uh, Harriet, you, you're going to go first, aren't I you? I am going to go first. I am starting off with a blog that's from a site called recareer.com and it's written by Phil Rosenberg and it's called Job Search Advice That You Need To Hear. <laughs> um, and it's talking about the eight signs that you suck at job search. Nice. Which is just really, it's it's very uplifting. Um, and he kind of gives lots of various things. He says, you're, if your res- resume response rate is less than 10%, you suck at your job search. If you aren't getting many interviews, suck at your job search. If you aren't getting past the pre-screening process, you suck at your job search. Um, he goes on like this. There's lots of various things. But there are actually some which I think are a little unfair because it, when you're searching for a job, it is really can be really disheartening and make you feel quite frustrated if you're not getting the response that you want. So I'm going to dismiss some of these. <laughs> so he says, you aren't getting many interviews. Well, actually, I think maybe, okay, it's not great if you're not getting many interviews, but it doesn't matter. As long as you get one interview that you're brilliant at, that's going to get you the job. So don't panic. And the other thing he says is your job search is taking longer than you expected. Um, I don't want to be talking about the down, horrible market that we're in at the moment, but it is a fact, and we all know it's not a great market. So it is going to take a lot longer. You're not going to get your dream job just like that. And I just think, I know that's frustrating, and I know that's depressing for a lot of graduates out there, and they probably don't need to hear somebody saying, well, it's taking longer, that means you suck at getting a job. It doesn't. That's just the state of the market. Don't worry about it. Keep persevering and keep going on. Nice. I, I think I've got some more evidence that graduate job seekers don't suck as well. They don't. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anyone they're stuck, but I mean, there are lots of gloomy stories out there about the job market, the big bad job market, as Harriet says, but how does this actually match up with the wider look of the stats? So this week we carried a blog on the careers site from the Higher Education Careers Service Unit's Head of Research, Dep- Dep- sorry, Deputy Research Director Charlie Ball. And he said, and he was kind of highlighting that you know, the the most common stats that people recall at the moment is there's an average of 80 grads going for every job or, I mean, we've we've kind of peddled this one loads of times as well. There's more journo students graduate every year than there are jobs in the entire media. And it's it's easy to see how that is really dispiriting, is going to put you off and kind of think, what's the point? But um, Charlie's actually highlighted some more encouraging stats in his piece. So every year in November, HECSU, the Higher Education Career Services Unit, and the Association of Graduate Careers Advisory Services publish What Do Graduates Do? And this is a survey based on the annual destinations of leavers from higher education survey. So it kind of looks at what graduates from the 26 most popular degrees are doing six months after they graduate. And I picked out this really interesting stat. So graduates actually do get some kind of job pretty soon after university. I mean, anecdotally, we hear that people are kind of two years on still not doing what they want to do. 
But according to this report, graduates are doing something. In fact, six by six months, 70% of last year's graduates were in work. And just to break that down a bit further, 2% of those were, were not being paid, so sort of unpaid internships and that kind of thing, and 2% were working overseas. So the majority were working in the UK and being paid. Um, and the next largest group were those in further study. That's 13% either doing a master's or maybe they're kind of teacher training, their PGCE. Um, and it was just 8.5% that are unemployed. But he, he sort of highlights another story that's kind of skewed our focus of how bad the, the job market is. So the Labour Force survey data um, from the third quarter of 2010 sort of pinned down 20% of graduates were un, uh, unemployed. But he points out that this was actually an estimate of what things were going to be, what things were going to be like by the end of 2010. Um, but he kind of says, well, you know, 80% actually had managed to get a job by you know, the end of the year, having graduated in the summer, and that's quite impressive, and maybe we should be focusing on the achievements. Don't get me wrong, he's not saying it's rosy, that there is still an element of that the times are tough and the, the unemployment, unemployment rates for young people are too high. But he, he kind of points out that, you know, if we weren't in a recession, the unemployment rate would probably be between 5% and 7% after six months, but it's at 8.5. So sort of putting that in perspective... Um, you know, there's still opportunities out there. And also financial services and banking and PR are recovering quite well. So there might be some areas to look at. And also many areas of the arts. Um, obviously, the public sector is not as healthy and, and neither are the sciences. Um, so, you know, maybe media sciences and sort of public sector aren't the places to look. But um, there are some opportunities out there. So good luck, everyone. OK, I've got a story from the Metro, which asks, why settle for being an advertising rep when you can be a sales ninja? <laughs> what sounds more exciting, a web kahuna or a search engine operative? Web kahuna. <laughs> what it is, is people are fed up with tr traditional descriptions such as advisor and sales manager. And they're actually inventing terms to make their role sound more colourful and attractive. And apparently even bosses are getting in on the act, which is totally cringeworthy because it says some are preferring to be known as the head cheese. Oh. I would never call my boss the head cheese. Um, so I've got 10, 12, 10 new titles here, including the ones I've already mentioned, Sales Ninja, the new media guru, which I suppose is not too bad, word herder, um, social media trailblazer. And then we liked Master Handshaker. <laughs> I think I know a few of those. Yeah, I think I do. Communications Ambassador, Happiness Advocate and Copy Cruncher from the more traditional kind of job title of um, copywriter. But yeah, I had a quick look online and, you know, people, there are a lot of people out there say your job title is negotiable. Um, and you could even, if you know, if you're working for a company that can't offer you a hike in salary that you want, maybe you can sort of negotiate on that instead. Instead of that 2% <laughs> pay rise, I want you to refer to me from now on as a sales ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there's some good uh, business cards floating around yeah, in those circles. You'd certainly make an impression. <laughs> I wouldn't go searching for those on the Guardian Jobs database. I don't no. think it's going to throw up that many. Uh... I think you do have a problem because lots of... Um, if you've lots of online job search now, they will search for people's titles and they'll mm. search for specific titles. So you do want to think about if I call myself a sales ninja, is any recruitment <laughs> consultant ever going to be searching for a sales ninja? <laughs> I should probably, but I really hope not. Um, so, but you can, I do think there's a good point about if you're not getting a pay rise, get a big title because mm. actually your next job, you'll get yeah. a bigger hike in salary. You can say, well, no, I'm not just a, sales ninja I was chief sales ninja <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so we talk a lot about what employers want on this show. Internships, spotless social media profiles, global competencies, even first-rate tea-making skills. We've looked at them all. But there's another thing that they want. They want their workforces to reflect their client base. The more diverse a company's workforce, the richer the ideas, the deeper the understanding of their customers, service users or audience, and in theory, the more successful they become. So this week, we want to explore diversity and reveal what opportunities are on offer for candidates with diverse backgrounds. So who are the best LGBT employers? Who has a good track record for recruiting ethnic minorities or candidates with disabilities? And what schemes and recruitment drives should you be looking out for? To kick the discussion off, we're going to explore Google's top black talent programme. We're joined now by Hugo Obi of the African Caribbean Society, a partner on the programme, and Adiba Madwebuna, a second year computer science student at UCL, who participated in the scheme. Hello, both. Hello. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for coming in. Um, I wanted to ask you first, Adiba. It, you're in your second year, but are you already kind of thinking about your career and making sure that there are opportunities for you once you graduate? Yeah, um, like in the second year, I'm actually looking to explore internships next year. So I started um, looking at technology in banks and digital media and also um, software engineering as well. So what would your dream job be? What are your career goals, do you think, once you graduate? Um, Ultimate career goal, to work in a a software startup. What sort of role would you go for? Would it kind of be like a development role or...? Yeah, it would be a software development role, like making applications, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the, the the talent scheme now. What is it and how did you find out about it? Well, it was an inside day um, hosted by the AC company at Google. And I found out about it through my African Caribbean Society at UCL. And um, it was just an opportunity to just find out what's actually going on in the company itself and... We had some tasks and we had a team problem-solving exercise on a day. Tell us more about that problem-solving exercise. What did you have to do? We were meant to use one of Google's products to solve a problem. It was quite interesting because we had to think on the spot and do a five-minute presentation after, which we were judged on. The winners, team winners, they all won Google shirts at the end of the day. <laughs> nice, nice. So what do you think you kind of learned about both Google and, you know, working in software development from the day? I learned that it's very challenging to work there. And we also got an insight to the interview process as well. Tell so, us yeah. yeah, tell us about the interview process. And is it quite grueling? Are they going to yeah, put you through your paces? Yeah, I think the first round you have to do a telephone interview and you're chatting with one of the Googlers and you have to have... Um, the Google Docs open and you have to be coding at the same time. And Gosh, yeah, you're speaking to someone on the phone, but you also have to be coding at the same time. And then if so you're being s- utterly charming. And yeah. Kind of <laughs> and then if you're that. successful after that, then you go into the office for about five rounds in one day. Um, Hugo, if I could bring you in now. So tell us about the African Caribbean Society's involvement in the scheme and, you know, kind of how and why that came about. Um, The African Caribbean Society has actually been around for a very long time in university campuses. We set up the AC company as a delivery vehicle for bringing together the individual communities to form a network. So it's not just about one university having fantastic partnerships. It's about the whole network across all different campuses having that partnership. So um, we 
approached Google and we spoke to them about our concept of being able to attract great talent from a diverse range of universities in the country to come in um, and, and get an, a real insight into the organization and understand about the challenges within the tech space, but also to get a clearer understanding as well of the um, application process for Google. Um, the partners at Google were very welcoming and they you know, even broadened that vision, that concept, that idea that we had and said, why don't we go ahead and do a mentoring scheme after the Insight Day so we can pair um, students who have specific skill sets. Are you on the mentoring scheme? Yes, I, so I, do you mentor someone or does someone mentor you? No, a Googler was my mentor. Oh, nice. I did that over the summer. And yeah. what, what sort of insights did they offer you? Um, just advice. Um, we did some programming, so worked on that, and also some CVs, just focusing on CVs and presentations. And then at the end of the program, I started working on my own kind of application in Java, so that was quite helpful. Just more generally, I mean, how important do you think that schemes like this are for students and graduates? You know, why is it important that they've got these opportunities? I think it's very, very valuable um, for students to get a richer insight into an organisation. Every organisation has a culture. um, and, And schemes like this bring students into the working environment to see what a day in the life of an employee is. Um, We're joined on the phone now by Mark Palmer-Edgecombe, who heads up diversity and inclusion at Google for Europe, Middle East and Africa regions. And he's currently in Germany. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kerry. How are you? Good, thank you. What are you up to in Germany, Ben? Well, we are having a really exciting day today here in Germany. Um, We're doing our CODEF, which is very similar to the Top Black Talent Programme, but looks at hiring uh, female computer scientists into Google. We've talked a little bit about the Top Black Black Talent Scheme so far, but could you highlight some other schemes that sort of students should know about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we at Google run three of these programs. So we do the Top Black Talent Programme. Um, we do the CODEF, which is for women engineers. We do that in Germany and in the UK. And we also do what we call our Techability Programme, which is for students with disabilities. And that actually covers the whole of um, Europe and runs in the UK and in Israel. But obviously, this type of programme is not unique to Google. Other companies do those programmes as well. What I would suggest if a, if, if a student is interested in joining one of these programs, and I'd very strongly encourage them to do so, do so because it's a fantastic experience for them. It's great for their CV. It's actually a way of getting work experience, which is often the kind of Achilles heel of a, of a new grad is that they, they have their academics, but they don't actually have any practical work experience. Um, so I would encourage any student to do it. Hugo, if I could just bring you in now, we're sort of talking about how these schemes are such a great differentiator on your CV. Have you got some thoughts on that and you know how it can make candidates more kind of distinctive? Yeah, most certainly. Um, em- employers, when they look at CV, um, the initial part that they look at is the academic um, performance of the, of the student, but they look beyond that and they want to see um, someone who's got um, great ability uh, and diversity in terms of their skills range. And any engagement with any of the leading employers like Go- like Google, for, for instance, is really, really attractive for an employer. And I think Adiba is a very good example of that. Um, Adiba, I don't know if you want to mention your, your internship over the summer. Well, um, after the Google program in the summer, I started looking for a summer job. And I was able to get one at a software startup in London called Brighter Option. And so I got that based of, of my CV 
which had that program on it, which was quite helpful. Yeah, they were really the impressed to see yeah. that you'd done that on your CV, definitely. Um, Mark, I wanted to ask you um, about a Q&A we ran recently about how you can make the most of your diversity in the job market because an interesting point came out of that discussion. It was, so think about your unique selling point and market this to employers. I mean, can you discuss this? I mean, how, do you, how would you recommend candidates make the most of their diversity on applications and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great point. And this is something that I talk to diverse candidates about a lot, actually, which is the fact that, you know, being a diverse candidate can actually have some advantages in that, you know, many companies like Google run these programs. And obviously, it's a great opportunity for you to interact with an organization rather than just, you know, filling in um, uh, an online application and sending that in, which, of course, you know, companies get thousands of those. I mean, Google gets about one and a half million online applications a year. So, So obviously, for us to, you know, differentiate between the talent that we hire and the, the, you know, million and a half applications that we get is quite, it's a really tough process for us. So anything that a candidate can do to make themselves stand out, anything they can do to actually build a relationship with an organization is really, really super critical because you are in a, in a, in a fight against, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people that are trying to, to find jobs in the, in the global sort of recruitment market. So, I think it's very, very important that you do anything that you can. You know, when you're at university, think about what you can do that will make you stand out. So, you know, like if you're a black student, consider joining the Afro-Caribbean society. You know, think about actually not just joining, but can you, you know, be the president of that society or can you be an ambassador for a company um, on on campus? Um, The same, you know, if you have a disability, get involved with disability organizations. That's what we look for. We look for proactive future leaders, people that actually get involved and do more than just, you know, turn up to their lectures and get a great degree. Because nowadays that really isn't just that's not just enough to get a job anymore. What What's really exciting about the diversity space at the moment is that every single leading firm out there, every single leading organization is really, really being proactive in this space. Um, you know, one of our partners is Goldman Sachs, and they did something called Success in the City um, last week on the 21st of November. Um, they had diverse pool of students coming to their firm, spend the day, get an insight. Uh, I'm attending an event this evening called City Point, which has been hosted by Deloitte. They're expecting about 70 students at that event. Again, it's a diversity program. It's being held at their office, um, and they are effectively giving students the opportunity to come in, understand what the city is about, understand what the challenges are, and get a real grasp of how to be competitive within the employment market. So the information is definitely available for the students who attended um, Top Black Talent last week on the 23rd of November. They absolutely were enriched by the experience. I mean, the feedback that we received was massively overwhelming from students saying that now they actually feel they can think big. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. fundamentally um, can change someone's perception of, of who they are and how they want to approach the job market. Mark, can I ask you about the most common barriers for diverse candidates in the job market? I mean, we all know the conditions are tough Mm. at the moment, but is there anything unique in that? Well, it's interesting, actually, because I was just going to to add that one of the critical things about this, I I obviously talk to a lot of diverse candidates, and 
often they will say to me, well, I don't want to be treated any differently. I don't want like positive discrimination or special treatment. And, and the point is that, you know, we've just sat here for a couple of minutes rattling off a whole list of companies from Goldman Sachs to Google um, who are all actively looking for diverse candidates. And the reason that we do that is because we understand that by building diverse teams, we get more creativity, more innovation. Um, you know, we understand that our organizations need to reflect the, the diversity of our customers. You know, Google is a truly global company. We want uh, our teams to reflect that true globalness of, of, of the employment market. So I would say, you know, don't be, don't think of it as a negative thing by getting involved and actually being proud of your diversity and using that because that we all want you, you know. Um, in terms of barriers, I think, I think that barriers are, are significantly less than they used to be. I think you know the, 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 we are operating in, in a world that is much more open. Um, and I think actually one of, the, one of the, the problems that some diverse candidates have, like particularly disabled candidates, is that they are unnecessarily anxious about how, a, how an employer might react to their disability. So sometimes you know we do these programs for disabled candidates and we have to work really, really hard to get them to apply because they, they, they believe that they might actually experience discrimination. But, you know, I was head of diversity at Barclays and I am at Google and, and we absolutely wouldn't, would not discriminate against a candidate because they have a disability. In fact, quite the opposite. And I'd be interested to hear what, what Obi thinks about that, actually, from, a, from kind of the other side of the, the, rec the recruiting table, if you like. Yeah, you were nodding your head to go in. What do you think? I agree with, so I agree with some of the points that, that Mark mentioned. I don't know a lot about the disability space. I do know a lot about the black space. Um, and, and he's absolutely right in saying that the barriers are far less now than they used to be. It's great to see organizations being engaging. You know, traditionally, people would look at certain organizations and think, that is not for me. Um, but, you know, with Google Top Black Talent, for instance, you know, the, 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 the students are really amazed that they have uh, an executive director who is black, who is of a similar background as they are, who has been to similar challenges that they've been through and still has scaled up to the top. Um, and and that, means, that means a lot. You know, that means a lot for people because it means for them that they can achieve those successes that other people have achieved and the kind of visibility comes more more visibility and scalability in terms of getting the information out there the, the internet is helping a lot social media is obviously a very great tool for that Adiba can I bring you in I mean have you got anything to add on that have you sort of experienced anything like that or anything different sort of around barriers um, I think from the program when I actually got to meet one of the people working at Google that was quite interesting because he kind of told me his background and we have similar backgrounds. So to see someone in kind of that position just motivates you more. I think it was really important. Um, Mark, just w one last question. I mean, yeah. how can you, um, Hugo's just touched on this massively about sort of transparency and you can, you know, see people like yourself in organ organisations yeah. now, but how can you kind of find out if a company has got a commitment to, a, you know, creating a diverse workforce? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question because obviously you look at any of the any big company's website and it's going to talk about diversity. And actually, the way that you discover who is a good company for us, who is really interested in employing diversity, is actually look at the composition of that company. So, you know, when you go in for interviews, do you see people like you? Do you meet people like you when you go for interviews? When you go to their programs, do they actually run? 
um, talent programs, do they kind of put their money where their mouth is or is it all talk? I would say that's the, the easiest way to discover um, if, if a company is really serious about diversity or not. All right, well, we're going to let you get back to CODEF now. Thank you so much for your advice and we hope to speak to you soon. Yeah, my great pleasure. So that was the likes of Google, Goldman Sachs and Deloitte. But what about here at The Guardian? We've actually got our very own head of diversity, Yazir Mirza, on the phone now to talk about the competitions and schemes we run to enhance the diversity of our organisation. Hello. Hello. How How are are you? Very, very well. How are you? Good. We've been having a good discussion. How can candidates um, find out more about our diversity schemes? Um, So a number of ways. I mean, I run uh, a few editorial initiatives in, you know, to look to broaden our coverage of diverse groups and obviously to um, increase the diversity of our contributors. So um, we do run um, four times a year a minority writers workshop, simply putting ads out in the paper and on our website to encourage um, people to pitch in ideas to different sections of the paper and we rotate it around. So we do, you know, culture, G2, sport, comment, um, fashion and books a whole wide range of sections and um, um, on our Work For Us website we've got details of that and it simply is, is, is a way of uh, all you do is you pitch in ideas online, we'll select the best 20 writers, they come in and meet commissioning editors of those various sections from four workshops um, we've run, we've had about 56 commissions and these are people who've never really written for a mainstream paper before some have um, you know journalism qualifications, others don't, others are just you know avid writers um, and just very sort of brief examples of the, of the types of um, pieces that we have commissioned. Um, you know, we've had um, very recently, last week, um, we had uh, this uh, really amazing young girl called Michelle Harris, who's who's a disabled person who's also a dwarf, and she talked about her experiences of um, giving birth to her, her first child, and she had a two-page spread in G2. And there's another contributor we have, a deaf contributor called Charlie Swinborn, who... I think since attending uh, last November's workshop has already written about 14 pieces across the paper. Now we've talked quite a lot about sort of advice um, and how making the most of your unique selling point to employers. Mm. Can we pick your brains on that? Do you have any tips? Sure, sure. It's it's an interesting one because it kind of can be slightly a double-edged sword. So for us it's it's very, very easy and it's actually a good thing because you know, your unique view on life, uh, your life experiences, your background really fits really nicely with what we're trying to achieve in terms of getting your voice into the paper and, and, you know, having an opinion and having a debate and commenting and whichever way you contribute to The Guardian, we very, very much promote that. Um, I guess the the slight thing to be wary of is is not to use just to use your um identity as 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 a i guess a unique selling point because what will happen then is you tend to pigeonhole yourself you know for example you know if you've got a black writer the black writer doesn't always have to just write about black issues that affect you know the community he comes or she comes from but you know you want to you know want to be writing about mainstream issues as well so i think you've just got to be a little bit careful having said that when organizations for example have underrepresentation of certain groups you know be it you know if you're female if you're disabled or if you're an ethnic minority then i think that is a really 
good selling point for you to kind of you know maybe be uh talk a little bit a bit more about you know your life experiences and what new things can you bring to the table and it's all kind of under the banner of innovation and creativity so the same the same is is never great but if you can bring something new then that's definitely a selling point uh, i did like what you said about um not pigeonholing yourself but do you not think i mean like from my perspective i think that writing has to be original is really got to come from your viewpoint, your vantage point, what's happening within your immediate environment. And sometimes the reason why the reason why individuals who are of a certain kind do not engage with certain brands is because they feel that that individuality is taken away by them engaging with that brand. They've got to almost be someone else. The reality is by default, they are pigeonholed by the force of the environment that they find themselves or the situation that they find themselves so that is a big, big, big issue within the diversity space because you've got the companies and the organizations on the one hand saying, you've got to be like us. You've got to have that sort of like broader perspective or bigger vision on things. Um, and then for the individuals, they're thinking, well, before I can be that, I've got to be myself, which is a, a very good writer about what I write about. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's there. a very, very, very good question, very interesting question. So you've got, it sounds to me, it's to, there's kind of an issue of um, kind of integration and assimilation because first and foremost, you have to be, to put yourself in the best position, you have to be comfortable with who you are and feel confident that the environment, whatever environment, organization you're going in, would really celebrate that and, and really value that difference and uniqueness that you bring. But then, you know, you don't want to be that person to say, okay, well, this is, for example, a black person, you know, they can only, you know, we'd only go to them to talk about black issues. If you're, for example, you know, reporting on mainstream news, then it's very important that you have different types of people reporting on that because they see through a slightly different lens. But you don't want to just be, you know, kind of get ghettoized. Um, so really, it, it's an organizational issue, depending on really whether they really value, you know, the difference in uniqueness you bring. Thanks, Yazir. Um, Adiba, any sort of final tips or thoughts? What's going to be the next step for you? I think um, that most students, they often wait till like later in university to get involved with these schemes. And I think you should start earlier because then it just puts you on a better platform. The earlier you get involved, the more you can achieve with this with these schemes, and just apply for them because they're very useful. Yeah, and can I very quickly yeah, plug that so we we do run our writers' workshop four times a year. The next one is taking place next week, um, and we're doing it with music and film, fashion, books, and common. Um, do check out the Work for Us uh, website. And, uh, you know, the next one will be running in March, but we have an ap open application process. It's very inclusive and open to anyone. You don't have to come from a journalism background to pitch an idea and to write. And so, um, yeah, do check it out and, and, and apply. Thanks, Jose. We'll definitely put a link to that on the show notes. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Okay, thank you to Mark and Yazir on the phone, and particularly thanks to our studio guests who've been with us through the whole discussion, Hugo and Adiba. Thank you. Thank you. So, in keeping with today's theme, we've scoured the Guardian Jobs Board to select roles from companies that feature in Stonewall's top 100 chart of gay-friendly employers. 
Ali and Harriet are going to reveal the chart. Opening the chart at 10, we've got Network Development Manager roles from Citizens Advice. At 9, it's an Assistant Care and Support Worker from Metropolitan Housing Partnership. While at 8, we've got a Transport Planner role from the London Borough of Hackney. The University of Salford has Graduate Teaching Assistantships at 7. The National Audit Office is searching for researchers at 6. 5 is a Research Analyst role at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. The Cooperative Group wants an International Development Advisor at 4. At 3, it's Graduate Jobs with IBM. Second from the top is a Teaching Assistant from Leeds City Council. That brings us to this week's Numero Uno, Finance Jobs at Procter & Gamble. And finally, here's what we've got coming up on careers.guardian.co.uk next week. Tuesday, December 6th is MBA Careers Clinic and Wednesday, December 7th is Ask the Penguin Experts about getting into publishing. If you want to get Q&A links and future podcasts delivered directly to your inbox, you can now sign up to our weekly newsletter. I'll drop a link on the show notes. That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our guests, Hugo Obi, Adiba Majabuna, Mark Palmer-Edgecombe and Yazir Mirza, plus Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace. Goodbye. Goodbye.